Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Rightio, uh, good morning to you, uh, Morena, around the country um, on this uh, Tuesday. Let's hope uh, it's getting brighter wherever you are in terms of uh, what has happened recently and our thoughts uh, still continue to go out with you who are suffering. Uh, and who are doing it really, really tough. And uh, also our applaudits to those that are helping uh, and uh, getting up every morning with that resilience to see a wall, a wall of silt and debris in front of you and chipping away at it and uh, breaking it down. You are the heroes. And uh, we thank you for that. Uh, our show today will have uh, cricket on it. Of course, why not? At the moment, Test Cricket is hot. But we'll go inside the England camp and talk to Marcus Triscothic. Now, Marcus uh, is one of uh, England's finer players uh, on this century, uh, he's a terrific player actually, 1400s in his 76 test matches, but he's also the England batting coach. He'll be interesting to talk to, I can promise you that. Uh, the text uh, line is double eight double three double eight double three. so uh, we invite you to uh, text in on that, on any issues around the cricket, um, the, the football ferns, anything you've seen sporting-wise, even if you've got uh, perhaps a tale of... Um, heroism or a tale of uh, something concerning Cyclone Gabriel. We'd love to uh, hear from you and read that out. Uh, we will open up the lines just after 9.30 so you can talk about the cricket. You can talk about uh, perhaps uh, Cyclone Gabriel and how it's affected you or what you've seen from it. Uh, you could talk about uh, Super Rugby season, which is uh, just around the corner. And should Razor take the Fiji job if it's offered to him? Why not? I say, why not? Go for it, fella. Uh, after 10 o'clock, uh, Grace O'Hanlon, the Black Six goal, uh, goalkeeper, will be uh, talking to Logan Swinkles. Uh, we'll uh, catch up with <coughs> that interview. They've had a busy program of late. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, Brennan McCullum was on uh, Sky Sports No Boundaries not that long ago, uh, talking to uh, Mike Hesson. They had uh, a pretty in-depth interview because uh, they're great mates after all, and uh, they took New Zealand to some pretty good highs. So they'll uh, have a chat and we'll play some excerpts uh, from that in case you weren't able to watch it. We'll catch up with Louis just before 11 o'clock on the racing issues. After 11, uh, Ricardo Ball comes into the show. Um, it doesn't need any direction. He's done uh, for most of the year. Uh, the progress of the football ferns. Uh, what happening uh, with Manchester United, his beloveds, plus more on the EPL and the A-League, of course. Uh, the sports desk uh, will focus on a little bit of uh, ice hockey and uh, Pat Cummins to return home, but go back uh, for the third test. Uh, hopefully he's got uh, family illnesses uh, to deal with. We had a stump smithy, uh, back to 50 bucks today, uh, and plenty more to take us through to Staffy. At midday, we'll start with a sermon. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, let's hope that the forecasters are off the mark this weekend for the Basin, but at this stage, rain is predicted in the early days of this, the last test of the summer. A massively important one too, I might add. I really think it is. But is it? I mean, if New Zealand lose again, and on form, and style, you'd be backing that. What will change as a result? Nothing. Or next to it. If the attitude to employing Trent Bolt is anything to go by. Now, Bolt these days is a gun for hire. He's on the market, and he is a gun. So why don't we just go and hire him? Sounds like he was interested, and yes, it sets a precedent of going away from your contracted roster, but so what? Here's another precedent. 
Pick your best team of available players and get on with it. Give yourself the best chance. And Henry Nichols will get another chance because Gary said admires people who grind out tough hundreds. He said as much and Henry has done that in the past. There's no denying. But the past is just that. The now is to fight fire with fire. And players under pressure for their future seldom play with fire. More caution. There is a touch of the teacher's pet about Henry, some might say, a little like a certain Finn Allen, he of white ball fame. And whilst on current form, it's unlikely that Henry will dig us out of the mire. Maybe the other one, Matt, I mean, with a devastating spell or two, or at least not going for seven or eight and over with the new ball, might help. England have taught the world a lesson and done the game a favour. Express yourself, attack, win or lose, no draw, Go home after a couple of beers, come back tomorrow and start it all over. Fun, eh? Entertaining, yes. Hell of a way to earn a living. And yes, they will have bad days. The odd very bad one, I predict. That as long as the beer is cold and the dressing room is a happy sanctuary, the attitude and the intent won't waver. And there is a couple of old dogs in there, just by the way, a couple of old champions who are enjoying these new tricks. Shame we only get two tests to see it in the flesh. Let's not ignore the second lesson. Well, uh, England dealt us a lesson. I think a lot of people predicted that would be the case at the Bay Oval. Uh, In fact, uh, they finished it that early. They've had uh, a day and a half off to either sit on the beach, play a bit of golf, or they certainly won't uh, have uh, done too much about planning for next week. That's uh, not the way they go about things. They just enjoy what they've done and move on to the next thing. And uh, part and parcel of that, under Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes and working alongside them as their batting coach for Test Cricket, uh, Marcus Triscothic. Now, Marcus... Scothic needs very little introduction to cricket fans because he's a terrific player. Uh, 76 test matches, 1400s, 123 one-day internationals. That is a career of longevity and excellence. And it's a privilege to have Marcus on the show with us this morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are we doing? Yeah, really good, man. Really good indeed. Um, Listen, uh, I don't know, um, I I don't know, uh, Marcus, how you're going to go about this. So the next 15 minutes, I'd love to find out uh, as the batting coach, and this is where we're noticing where uh, England's ch- attitude has really changed, the batting side of things, how have you gone about changing the mindset of players who previously didn't play that way? I, I think it's been, um, it, it sort of kind of started from obviously with, with Brendan coming in and sort of you know looking to evolve the, the approach of the team. And then you've got the skipper in Ben Stokes also looking to try and do things slightly differently um, to give the, the team a different angle and a different way of playing the game. And I think, you know, encouraging them to, you know, to be more aggressive and to be a bit more free, um, which then allows us as coaches to then follow through with that ethos um, and keep, you know, keep pushing the guys towards the danger, if you like, and keep pushing them to try and find different approach, to find a different way of playing this game because, you know, we've, we had a period of time beforehand where it didn't go so well, um, but you know we needed to move the game forward. So, and it, it's kind of breeding itself now because the guys have had success doing it, and they're finding and looking at opportunities where they can go out and be a bit more aggressive. Um, you know, and and it, and the proof has been in the pudding. We're, we're now ten out of eleven games on the banks, and it's like, you know, this is this is pretty good of what we're trying to do. So, so Marcus. Uh, uh... 
you, I mean, you batted at the top of the order. That, that was your ethos. It was, um, I would imagine back in the day, whilst you, you, you had a relatively aggressive mindset, one, one was um, attitude back in those days was, was to survive, to see off the new ball, to set up the, yeah. the, the day's play with the bat. Um, it looks from the outside looking in as if that has almost disappeared. Yeah, well, I think, you know, th- there is a bit more method to the madness. It- it's not just about, you know, let's go gung-ho and um, just be ultra-aggressive. You know, the-, the mantra is to try and put pressure on bowlers and try and find opportunities that we can uh, move the game forward. But, you know, you- you're always on the second side of that is identifying periods of games when you sometimes you have to absorb and you have to sort of suck it up a little bit and just take a little bit of time out of the game to assess their conditions and, and allow the bowler sometimes when it's their time to to have a period of the game which they they they're allowed to you know control control but um as soon as that is over then then you always look again to to apply pressure so getting the balance right you're looking you're looking for smart players that can come in uh, and assess conditions well um, but more often than not, you know, it's trying to score runs, apply pressure, um, and it, it's just a different way. It's a, it's a slightly more, um, you know, the, the positive side of what we're trying to do is really the important part of this. So, do you have uh, do you set targets? I mean, there was a day let, let's uh, be only one down at uh, drinks, or you know, two down at. at uh... At lunch, and let's try and get to what 70, 80, 90 if it's a really good one. Do you set targets or you just say good luck? No, 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 no targets involved. I think it, put, it puts limitations on, on what they're trying to do. And I think um, the guys learned a lot of that from, from the days with Owen Morgan and uh, his approach for white ball cricket. There was no targets involved in that, very much the same as what there's not now. It's you know, if you if you it almost then puts a limitation or a restriction on what you think you can get because the actual target might be a hundred more than what you actually set. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's it's very it's very free. Um, and like I say, going back to the the sort of mantra of what it is, let's apply pressure when we can when we find the right time. Um, and then you know, if you have to try and suck it up a little bit, then you do so. So uh, you talk uh, with these guys, you work alongside them. What does net practice look like these days? I mean, I, I recall the days of Test cricket where you'd give your, your bowlers and, and they'd bowl to the top order. And, you know, one of the great things you'd feel about and come out of the net, if you judged the line well, if you left it well, you'd think you'd had a relatively good net. Uh, what about these days? What, what's yeah. the attitude there? Uh, it's well that they still practice in a very similar way in terms of um, face bowlers um, and you know we'll, we'll prepare by the guys bowling each other in nets um, for probably the first couple of days of practice and then obviously leading into it probably the day before the bowlers won't bowl but but it, the, if you were to watch it you would see it very differently to what it used to be um, and it would be very similar to what you'd see for white ball cricket you'd see guys using their feet running down the pitch um, sometimes leaving the ball, sometimes being a bit more aggressive and, and trying to whack it back past them. Um, sometimes people will give themselves room and, and be a bit more aggressive. So it, it's very it's very cl- much closer to white ball cricket than what test cricket used to be. Um, you know, as I say, because of the, the approach of looking to be aggressive, it's finding ways of doing it differently. Um, and and I think if you see it from a distance, you'll you'll see the ball flying everywhere as it, as it does in the game. 
Marcus, uh, what type of uh, player now, if I'm a young English batsman uh, playing county cricket, trying to work my way into um, the thoughts of the likes of yourself and the selectors, etc., how do I have to play these days? I, I mean, if my numbers are, are good, if I rack up 100 after 100 in a traditional way, and I hasten to uh, add the word traditional here, what kind of cricketer do I have to be to catch the eye as a youngster? I think you need to be somebody who's open to the idea of trying to do something differently. Um, you know, I think if the guys in, in county cricket back at home, you know, they're going to need to be showing that they can uh, apply pressure to, to, to bowlers in the county game, um, but be open to the idea of, of moving the game forward and playing it in a different fashion. I think if you get a little bit stuck in your ways or you, you're a bit closed off to to expressing yourself or, you know, to doing it like, like it used to be done. Uh, and I think, you know, that that's not going to work in, in this team currently, you know, that, you know, that as we say, we, we know what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. So the people coming in have the opportunity to, to, to show what they can do and uh, find ways of doing things differently compared to what it's been done in the past. Marcus, there are a number of players on the side who uh, overlap the, the old style of English cricket to this new modern-day style under McCullum and Stokes and the likes of yourself, etc. Um, but there are two players in particular. I mean, Ben Duckett, we saw uh, Duckett in, in, uh, the, at the Bay Oval, outstanding with his attitude and the way he set the, the, the tempo of the game up. But uh, the other player I'd really like to talk about is Harry Brook, who came into the side post um, McCullum and Stokes and, and has really just adopted this attitude quite freely. Uh, yeah, he's been brilliant, hasn't he? I think um, he is the talk of the town at the moment. You know, just the way that he's gone about it in Test cricket. He was brilliant in Pakistan when he had his opportunity. He's been brilliant so far. Um, and he, the way he plays, the way he hits the ball, it, it's it's so different to what we've seen. Um, and it, and it's been superb, really. He's been a breath of fresh air. And he, he's loving it. You know, the way he's, he's allowed to play and, and sort of be aggressive in the game, it's like, um, a real example about uh, you know to what we're trying to do and some of the shots he's playing and the way he hits the ball is phenomenal. You can you can see why the IPL were, were so happy and obviously wanting the team so desperately trying to get him um, because if he plays in the fashion that he's playing at the moment, goes into the IPL, he's going to be an absolute rele- revelation um, and it's going to be so exciting for people to watch him. Do you shake your head? I mean, you're you're a little bit old school. Um, and you, you, when I say old school, you go all the way back to uh, you know um, 15 or so years ago. Do you, you you sit up on the balcony every now and then and just shake your head at what's going on? Yeah, we do. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. And, and quite often you sit there and just go, "Wow, you know that that's incredible." Because some of the shots that are being played, um, you you sit there and admire the you know the bravery of them even thinking about trying to take the shot on or when they execute it, it's like, you know, that, that's just incredible. I, I can only imagine um, what it's like playing against it because, you know, you, you're just seeing the ball fly to different parts and some shots that are just like absolutely outrageous. But, um, you know, when they're coming off, they're, they're looking brilliant. And, and I know from my time when I, I there was an, an occasion we played in, uh, in Australia back in the Ashes in, I think it was 02, 03. Um, Matthew Hayden ran down the wicket in the first session and smashed the six into the crowd. And we were just like, hmm, wow, what are we going to do now? Because it's so different the way the approach and what they had at that time. 
Um, and it's, you know, continuing on in that. And that's what this team is doing now. Uh, it's like, uh, I mean, England have had some fantastic uh, cricketers over the years. I mean, it's it's almost as if you've got like three or four Bothams on your side at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're right. We've had some some amazing cricketers over the time. You think, yeah, Beefy was obviously. You know, you you can go back and start it then. Kevin Peterson. You know, he played some innings around that sort of time, which were very aggressive and different. Um, looked upon it, and then you've got the likes of someone like Harry Brook. You know, and we, and we don't even have Johnny Bairstow at the moment. Obviously, Johnny's obviously been injured and uh, missed out on those opportunities. But you know, he he had an amazing summer last year back in England um, and, and sort of, you know, he he typifies everything the team is about. So trying to fit them back in will be interesting. But, you know, having the amazing players, you know, in the team, it's just, just working. And at the moment, and we're, look, we're, we're loving it. We're, we're riding the crest of, of everything that's going on at the moment. And it's, it's great fun to, I'm sure it's amazing to play, but it's, it's great fun to coach and to sit and watch. The other thing about it too, Marcus, is it's not just the batting aspect of it. Uh, I mean, it's the attitude of, about how you play your out cricket as well, uh, which is fascinating. And that incorporates a, a couple of blokes, one of which uh, whose career overlapped with yours, a fellow by the name of Jimmy Anderson. Stuart Broad wasn't far away either, um, entering the fray. So uh, what about the change for those two blokes? Uh, has it made them young again? Well, I think they're loving their time uh, of... Uh you know, into the twilight of their career, if you like. Um, you know, they, they've been through the rough and the smooth of the England game uh, and, and had success and failure a long, long way because of the longevity they've played in. But I think no more than currently how they're enjoying their time and, and leading the bowling group and, you know, bringing the younger lads through and showing them what to do. But I thought in this game in particular, the, the way that those both of those guys bowled along with Ollie Robinson... Um, you know, the length that they bowled, you know, Broad, Broad's wickets were just superb. You know, the, the four wickets in the, in the second innings, you know, hitting the top of the stumps, just just nipping, just seeming like an inch either way um, was very, very tricky when, when the ball was seeming a bit under lights. Um, and then again, Jimmy, Jimmy came in obviously on the, the last day and, and sort of cleaned up and just sort of, you know, continued doing what he did. But they, you know, they're just, just you we're so lucky to have them. You know, it's, you know they've got such class and there's such skill when they're trying to execute execute with the ball that they typify everything that we're trying to do with the bowling. That you know whoever comes in and and sort of replaces them over a year is going to have to be some serious skills and some serious bowlers to be able to do that. It wasn't that long ago, uh, Marcus. I, I well remember talking with people in England uh, when I was over there, and they were scratching their heads and thinking, "Where is the future of English cricket? Where are we looking here?" particularly in terms of test matches, where are our players coming from? But it appears now they're kind of lining up. Yeah, well, it's amazing how quickly it changes, isn't it? And I know after the Ashes, when we when the guys went there, what, 18 months ago or two years ago, um, in the, after that period of time, everything was so down and um, concerning and worrying about what we were trying to do. But I think a quick change in, um, in sort of approach and mentality about enjoying your you know your time when you get it um you know that it looks like and then you you see the other guys coming through and it looks it looks a completely different situation and it happens so quickly so uh, i think we're we're enjoying the time as we are at the moment and hopefully excuse me that 
you know, the, the, the guys who are trying to push for getting into the team will, um, you know, really enjoy the opportunity of playing in this in this group at the moment. So, you know, the boys are, are, are very hungry for success that are playing, but, you know, hopefully the guys are, um, are queuing up really to try and get their opportunity afterwards. Well, here's something you've, you probably have considered. The offer might have even come, but um, because of the fact that uh, you're the batting coach and, and this is an amazing revolution in terms of uh, English cricket and the style of cricket you want to play, I would imagine there's a, a lot of people that want to tap into uh, what you're achieving there. So uh, there might be an opportunity or an occasion where, uh, just like uh, Brennan McCullum or whatever, you are involved with a, a side that uh, is not England and you, you coach against England. What would you recommend? Would you take them on fire with, with fire? Would you say, look, we've got to change and try and play like them? Or uh, how would you coach against England at the moment? Well, I think we're all waiting for for one of the world nations to go, right, we've got to stand up against it. You know, we, we've tried and other teams have tried to play the normal style. And I think, you know, we're, we're kind of waiting for that moment when uh, when somebody changes their approach completely about the same way and uh, that will take a bit of uh, guidance and obviously like like I said to you with Brendan and and Ben at the helm that that's where it's changed so it, it's growing and it's building momentum all the time but um, we, I reckon I, I kind of feel that New Zealand might be the first sort of team that might look at it and go do you know what let's move on Let, let's try to do it differently we've tried doing it in a different way we can see the benefit of what they're doing um, but as I say, we're just waiting for somebody to, to step up. And I, I, I know when I played against Australia, when, you know, the, the great Australian team, everybody was sort of trying to chase them and try and catch up with what we did, what they did. Um, and when the only time that I thought in my time when I had success is when we tried to match them and be a bit more aggressive and, um, you know, the approach that we had. And, and that's going back to sort of a, you know, 2005 when we won the Ashes there. So. Um, somebody along the line they will do and it'll be, it'll be an amazing game when they do because um, it will be fast-paced entertaining cricket when, uh, when, it, when it catches up Just finally I guess um, Marcus and, and thank you for your time today just finally I think uh, the yardstick that everyone's talking about and I think you just hinted there too is the Ashes which is not too far away I know you only think about uh, what's coming up uh, this Friday starting in Wellington but from your point of view uh, this is going to be a tasty Ashes isn't it? I can't wait. Absolutely cannot wait. You know, with the way that the boys are playing uh, and enjoying their, their style of cricket. Um, you know, any Ashes series is amazing and you look forward to them every time they come around. Of course they do. Um, but, you know, we're, we're in such a good place and we're enjoying our cricket so much. Um, you know, there's so many principles of, about what we do. And I think probably one of the biggest strengths that we have is probably the fear of not losing the games. Because I think you said it in, in the sort of build-up that it will go wrong at times. And there will be days when it's not quite working how we want it to do. And, and that's okay. I think having that principle will, will allow us to continue growing and continue to pushing it forward. So that when we play the best and, and play all these world teams who are fantastic, um, you know, it's going to make for a great series. And, and you've got to hope that the Ashes brings that in our, in our English summer. Marcus Triscothic, been a pleasure having you on the show and getting some insight uh, just to how you go about things and the mindset, which I think is crucially important about this England team at the moment. Congratulations on what you've achieved and uh, travel safe. Thanks so much for your time, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you.
Cheers, uh, Marcus Triscothic there, folks. Uh, it is uh, 9.25 here on SENZ. 0800 150 is our phone number. Our text line is uh, 8833-8833. Uh, love to hear from you, um, particularly on the phone uh, after uh, the news coming up very shortly. Uh, on any number of subjects, uh, the cricket, of course, is uh, front of mind because we've got one more test match starting this weekend in Wellington. Starts Friday. Uh, sold out the first three days, I understand. So let's just hope the weather stays good for those good people that have purchased tickets. Uh, if you're one of them, um, give us a call. What you, you expect to see, what you hope to see, perhaps, from uh, New Zealand. Would you change the side at all? Or would you, I mean, Matt Henry will come in. Would uh, you make any adjustments to that side? Or would you say, you guys that got it so badly wrong last week, uh, here's a chance to get it right. And that's often the attitude of, of uh, New Zealand cricket uh, selectors. So um, w- what would you do? So uh, we invite you to call 0800 150 811. You can talk uh, rugby if you like. Uh, would you, uh, for your razor, would you go and spend six months uh, trying to get Fiji right for the World Cup and then come home? Uh, why wouldn't you? Uh, 0800 Here's the news with Araha. Talkback time with Smithy. Call now 0800 150 Yep, 0800 and that's the number that uh, Stephen has just dialed. Stephen from Wellington. Good morning to you, Stephen. Stephen uh, not there, or is Stephen there? We know he's uh, sitting yeah, waiting on the line. Yeah, Stephen, g'day, Hello. how are you? Yeah, Hello, yeah. Stephen. can you hear me? Can you hear me? Got you loud and clear. Got you loud and clear. Excellent, excellent. Hey, that's great. Hey, uh, I really enjoyed that uh, interview with Marcus there, the, the batting coach for England, and he said some very interesting thing. And, and one, one comment I thought was very interesting talking about, um, you know, the idea, put it out there, of, of New Zealand following along in the same sort of style. And I've, I've been thinking about that for a wee while, and I, I've, I've come up with a, an idea of um, who we could have as, as coaches, uh, Stephen Fleming and maybe Daniel Vittori as a couple, and selectors, here you go, um, Ian Smith and Jeremy Coney. <laughs> and... and um... I'll tell you what, Stephen, um, let's all take a lotto ticket on Wednesday night because there's about as much chance of winning that as that happening, I can promise you that. Um, oh, right. Maybe a little, I think Daniel Vittori might be uh, the biggest uh, the biggest favourite out of the four names you just mentioned. Uh, Daniel Vittori is, uh, I think, a real possibility, only in a head coach role, though, only in a head coach role and only if they increase the level of pay, I'm thinking, so... Um, but I, I like that. But yeah, what I liked about uh, Marcus Triscothic, and Marcus Triscothic was a traditional batter, right? He, he was mm. back in the day. He would uh, occupy the crease. Uh, he would judge line and length. And, uh, you know, he scored 1400s as a result of that. Um, so he's learning as well. And I think, this, uh, I think uh, Stephen, that's one of the, uh, the lessons for all of us is that we can't get stuck. You can't get stuck as the game goes forward. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think we have here too. I mean, and I've also been thinking that maybe we need a change at the top. And I've, I've, I was sort of thinking of some ideas like maybe uh, Liz, Leslie Murdoch is the um, the CEO. Um, maybe yourself and Jeremy Coney on the board. Um, <laughs> And I, and I think maybe maybe bring John Wright in there somehow. Um, 
And, and you know, just uh, I don't know, um, Deborah. Uh, is it Debbie uh, Cotty? Uh, Colin that used to be the uh, very good batter, and maybe a few others. You know, to to bring a new blood um, with experienced blood and some wisdom, and change it. And, and I, I sort of, um, I don't. I think New Zealand cricket is, is in a in a position where it's gone very stagnant and it's just relied on the past and I think we need to change that to bring it in and um, like people like Patel as a bowler I mean he should be in this team I mean you you need to blood you need to have all the teams um, that are playing well have spin bowlers you need to even if the conditions are not right I think you need to put you know to bring them in and um, yeah so I think it needs a complete overhaul you know, from from the coach, from the selector, to the the management up top, and um, bring in new blood and and new ideas. All people with you know, like yourself, or Jeremy Carney, or others that can also maybe, um, if you're willing, to um, put in a say and 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 help change for the better. And 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 just one other thing, Ian. Um, mm. I'd I'd like to see us not just playing two tests, least play three tests. And I've I've been thinking that you can do it. I mean, look at the one in Pakistan where they brought the the, the second test forward. Instead of having that long rest, maybe you only have two or three days, so then you can fit in at least another test or two. You know, so that we, the more tests we playing you can only get better. Well, Stephen, uh, you've brought uh, some very interesting points to the surface there. Um, in terms of uh, personnel, I think John Wright would be um, excellent going into an administrative position. He's been a coach, he's been a captain, um, and uh, I think he's a fairly progressive thinking fellow. So uh, I think John Wright, I'm not sure Jeremy Coney um, or Ian Smith would be to welcome on a, a board from New Zealand cricket, to be perfectly fair, but John Wright would be, um, and I guess that's I, I guess that's the legacy of being a commentator and being outspoken is that you tend to ruffle feathers from time to time, but um, that's what you that's what you're there, that's what you people are, are asking you to to have your opinion. So hey, that's I can I can run with that. The fact of the matter is, I, I think right now, uh, if we were to have a, a change in coach, we might have to go overseas and get one in. Uh, someone with a fresh approach, someone without any baggage with New Zealand cricket, someone who can walk through the door and say, this is the way I want to play it. Do you want to play it with me? Um, and, um, you know, just as England have done, just as actually as exactly what England have done. It, it, it's no fear of, to me, that, that what they've done is presented a model. Uh, I don't think we should at any stage be worried about uh, being accused of copying them or, or em trying to emulate them. I don't think it's a bad thing, is it? I mean, 10 test wins out of 11? It wasn't that long ago we had a very fine record ourselves, but we've got a shocking record lately, an absolute shocking record. Um, and we're still having that shocking record uh, with same, some of the same players who aren't doing that well. And that, I think, is uh, where you have to show a, a change in attitude. Stephen, thank you. Really uh, do appreciate your call. It's 9.39 here on SENZ. Um, and uh, look, the Triscothic interview is a really cool one for me. It didn't... It really didn't teach me a whole lot new, but what it just did reinforce is that, and that, going back to that point, you have to change. Now, Marcus Trithgothic admits he's had to change. 
they have to change you have to change you have to be forward thinking and you have to ask your players to change and be forward thinking uh, the best thing you can do though is, is say to them look if you get out uh, reverse sweeping in the first over after tea um, it's not going to cost you um, your career uh, we admire your attacking thinking and your forward thinking and when you're a class player like a Joe Root, you're not going to criticise them any day of the week. They've got that sort of, um, I guess, that advantage of, of having been there, done that, and that terrific record behind them. I mean, Johnny Bairstow, as you said, is going to have to maybe wait his turn. And yet Johnny Bairstow was one of the reasons that England fired up at home last year uh, and had so many run chases. But Johnny Bairstow's injured, and Johnny Bairstow might just have to wait uh, because of the aggressive and... Uh, I guess the competitive uh, attitude that the England batting lineup has at the moment. So uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what develops from here on in. 9.40 here on SCNZ. Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Rightio, uh, we've got a multi for today. Uh, yesterday's one is still in operation. Uh, we're waiting on a game of football there between Torino and uh, Cremonese. Uh, we'll get a result of that shortly. Uh, but today we're going uh, for tomorrow morning's game between Liverpool and Real Madrid. We're going to say it's going to be a draw at $3.40. So a draw there. Uh, our very own, we're claiming him, Cam Norrie, to beat Cirandolo in the uh, ATB Tennis Tournament in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, Cam Norrie to win at a dollar forty, and Scotland are playing Nepal cricket later today at a dollar fifty-four. We'll take the Scots, uh, so that multi's up three forty into a dollar forty, dollar fifty-four, seven dollars thirty-three for our multi for today. Now, listen. Um, also, they've uh, been uh, from civil defence um, and the powers that be. They've asked us to read out a few don'ts and be carefuls. Uh, because of uh, what's happened with the cyclone around. So uh, some of these uh, emergency messages you might like to take heed of. Uh, Floodwaters may be full of sewage, chemicals and other hazardous materials and should be avoided as much as possible. Floodwater can carry bacteria that can, can contaminate food. Protect yourself when cleaning up floodwater and mud by wearing a property, uh, properly fitted P2 or N95 rated mask, goggles, gloves, long pants, long sleeve shirt, and gumboots or work shoes. Throw away all food and drinking water that has come into contact with flood water. Do not eat garden produce if the soil has been flooded. In power outages, use torches instead of candles and only use camp cookers and barbecues outdoors. Conserve water where you are advised to. Check the location of pipes and cables before you dig. Uh, see Chorus Before You Dig, a website. Uh, we, there is a website called Chorus Before You Dig. Uh, check that out, uh, and beforeyoudig.co.nz as well for all utilities. And the best way to assist in the response is through financial donations and not, I repeat, not through donated goods. Apparently they're just stacked up so high they'll never be able to sort them out and distribute them. Uh, keep up to date with advice from your local CDEM, Civil Defence, of course, um, or from uh, civildefence.government.nz. So uh, they are messages. They are messages. Uh, Gary from uh, Upper Hutt. Good morning to you, uh, Gary. Morning, Smithy. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty damn good, actually, compared to a lot. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to talking <laughs> about a cricket with you. Yeah, yeah, you were talking about um, coaches for um, the Black Caps, and one that's coming to 
me quite often these days is Craig Cumming. I, I don't know um, if he's got holds all the right tickets or whatever. I know he's coaching the Otago women's. But um, every time I hear that guy talk, I just think he would be a brilliant coach for the national side. Well, they didn't want him for um, the, the women's side of things, I, I understand. So I'm not quite sure where Craig Cumming sits in their thinking. Of course, Craig Cumming was a commentator as well, so that may be a bit of a curse involved there, Gary. Um, Craig is a little bit old school um, in terms of, and I heard yeah. a little clip from one of his interviews where he's, He's uh, not saying that we should go away from the way we play the game, and that is to, uh, you know, to occupy, deny, and, and and bat in the way that we want to bat, which is the one that's served us pretty well uh, up until recently, in the last two or three years. Uh, so he, he I don't think he's going to go and and have a block bash men, mentality or or baz ball as we like to call it. So, um, but certainly I, I think it's a scope for him being in the mix. Um, I, I, yeah. He's got a lot so of good the way ideas. I remember him, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry to butt in there, Smithy. Um, the way I remember him is like as a player, he was a hard-nosed, gritty sort of a player. And um, I don't know. I think we just need to get a little bit back, 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 back in as well. You know, okay, we don't have to go fully down the baseball sort of um, way, which it is entertaining. I'll give you that. But um, to me, he just comes as a really considered sort of a guy, and you know, really puts a lot of thought into what he says. And um, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I just I, I find him quite refreshing. I think he'd be quite good. But like I say, I don't know. I, you have to have levels of coaching, don't you? And I'm not sure if he's, a, you know, got all the right paperwork and everything. I, I don't know how that works. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him um, get in the mix there somewhere. Quite, yeah. Quite yeah. I'll, I'll, I, th- I think there's scope for that, Gary. I, I do. I think there's scope for that going forward. Uh, still a very young man in, in coaching terms. I'd be interested to know what kind of certificates Brendan McCullum's got actually. I can't ever recall Brendan McCullum going to coaching schools, um, applying for certificates, sitting sitting exams. I don't know if that was ever Brendan McCullum's thing, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I'd, that would be a nice question. At some stage, I'll ask Baz exactly how many coaching certificates he's got framed on the wall at home. Oh, I wouldn't think there'd be too many. Gary, thanks very much for your call. Cliff from Dunedin. G'day, Cliff. Yeah, g'day, Smithy. Uh, interesting listening to Marcus Jaskothic with you before. I look back in England a couple of years or so back. Once Captain Cook retired, they really struggled with an opener. They tried Jason Roy, a couple other guys. Jason Roy was a one-day 20-over specialist, and they thought that he might be able to do it, but he never seemed to really come off. And they really struggled, you know, in that first three batsmen for a long time. Look, they've played Pakistan and a couple of other sides, and, and it's it's worked reasonably well. And I look back at that Pakistan series they played over there and they had uh, Cook and um, the other quick bowler. They had a couple of quick bowlers and they really tested the uh, Pakistani batsmen. And, and, and look, they did bat pretty well. So, look, I think at the end of the day, you've got to bowl good lines and length to the, anybody. It doesn't matter what sort of guy. Look, that guy, Kura Hanara and Jaya Saria, they tried to take the bowlers in Australia in those one-day series on by trying to hit them over the top on the start of the overs. And they probably were, they were a wee bit successful for a bit. But at the end of the day, you bowl good line and length and, and let the ball have its chance and you'll do it. You know, it showed that when old Wagner 
he tried to bowl all that loose stuff, big, short, wide, everywhere. It just went to the fence because it gave too much room for guys to, to heave and, and to use the pace of the ball. Um, you know, we, I think, you know, we've just got to do the right thing. All good lines and we'll do it. And to me, the guy that needs to step up, and he was on the TV the other day, is Steve Fleming. He's the man that's got to come in. Him and likes the Daniel Vittori, get Bond back. Even um, the guy who, who's been on the radio a bit recently, I haven't heard him. He used to bowl in the one-day format. He was the Auckland guy. I'm just lost Mitch his Mc, name. Mitch McLennigan, Kyle Mills. Yeah, guys like Kyle Mills, Bond, uh, Vittori, but Fleming, we need a guy. Fleming worked out a lot of guys that come over here. I remember when we played South Africa, they come here about 2008, nine, and had the captain was the uh, the guy that had been the captain for a long time. Thank you, New Cliffy. Fleming... Uh, thanks very much for your calls too, uh, Cliffy. Apologise for having to cut you off at the, the last second. There is uh, automation. Put it down to automation. Things just kick in. And uh, they kick in like that. So uh, we've got uh, kicking in next hour. Um, some uh, It's a bit of a Logan Swinkles hour, actually, the next hour, to be perfectly fair. Uh, Logan uh, interviewed uh, a little earlier this morning uh, Grace O'Hanlon, Black Sticks goalkeeper. Um, so uh, we'll look in, into what, what's happening with uh, the Black Sticks after 10 o'clock. And then we'll talk uh, a little bit about Brendan McCullum um, and his show on uh, No Boundaries uh, with Mike Hessen. And uh, some audio coming off of that. Very interesting indeed. Uh, we'll also have uh, um, a stump smithy later in the morning and talking to Ricardo about football as well. All coming up in the, the next two hours. No three here on SENZ and uh, time to talk some hockey. And the women's black sticks are in the middle of hosting the USA and China for the FIH Pro League in Wellington. It's a crucial year for the side as they uh, work towards Olympic qualification for Paris 2024. Over the weekend, they lost both games via the shootout. It's an area of the game where they are searching for answers after dropping four straight. They've now got uh, the week to work on their tactics before playing USA and China again this weekend. Well, much earlier this morning, our uh, very fine producer, Logan Swingles, uh, got up and uh, talked with Black Caps uh, goalkeeper, Grace O'Hanlon. ECNZ. You're with Logan Swinkles on SCNZ and joining me now is Blacksticks goalkeeper Grace O'Hanlon. Normally us Kiwis like to say the Australians are claiming all the good things. Well, we're doing it right back with Grace. How are you this morning? Very well, thank you. Uh, how good is it firstly to have the FIH uh, Pro League back in New Zealand for the first time in three years? Uh, hockey at home, there's no better feeling. Absolutely no better feeling. Uh, them playing in front of our own fans and supporters. Uh, we do have a little band of, of brothers that come on tour uh, to watch us overseas, but to have uh, local kids and you can see yourself, you know, 10 years ago for me, 20 years ago uh, in the crowd uh, is fantastic. I'd, I've noticed some really great crowds, both at the match against Spain and Tauranga uh, and now in Wellington as well. We're witnessing this bump in support for women's sport in this country with the white ferns, black ferns and the football ferns. Are you finding that people are paying more attention now to the black sticks than perhaps they ever have in your career? 
Look, I hope so, and I hope every single day, uh, I hope that we gain more and more support. Women's sport in general, as you say, is such an important explosion right now, and, and I'll be down there. I've got my tickets to all the World Cups we've just had and that are coming up. So, um, But I, I think hockey has always been a, quite an equal sport. Our men and women's teams have always been in this together, and I think that's what makes hockey really special. Um, but we look, if we're riding the wave, we'll ride the wave together. <laughs> I love that. And, and one special story to come uh, from the weekend just been was the return of Liz Thompson after a year away from the game rehabbing uh, her knee. She appeared in her 200th test. How big of a boost was that for the Black Sticks coming in, into this stretch of games? It's, I actually probably can't put that into words to have a player of her calibre and her talent and the person that she is to this team is just it's unrivaled and it's such a refreshing feeling to take the pitch with with someone that has just such a wealth of knowledge and experience, especially for a team that we're, we're quite young, which is fantastic, but uh, quite young, quite inexperienced and a lot to learn. And it is just great to have someone to learn from standing beside you in the black shirt. The Black Six did lose a lot of uh, experience coming out of the Tokyo Olympics. Where would you say, you know, a couple of years out now, we're a year away from the Paris Olympics. Where would you say the team is at in terms of that experience and those younger uh, girls coming through, learning about the game and learning what it means to play for New Zealand? That's a fantastic question. We, uh, we have a wealth of talent, an exceptional wealth of talent. Um, Ollie, Shannon, Hope, Ralph, all of these young girls that are coming through now are exceptional hockey players. We just need to get the minutes on the pitch and that's what we're doing right now the pro league is a fantastic place for that to get stuck in get some international hockey done really learn what it means really feel it really hurts when we don't take you know put wins away Mm. um and really enjoy those wins on the international stage and that's what we're doing and that's the build to paris for us with you know the black six making losing four straight shootouts the most recent being this past weekend against the USA and China. Like, I can appreciate how frustrating that must be in a game where the defences work so hard to keep the opposition to a single goal. Is it just a run of bad luck or is there a way for the Black Sticks to work, them, work their way out of this? I think I, I feel those uh, shootouts heavy on my shoulders, most certainly. Um, I don't think this is, it's, again, it's not a question of talent. This is a question of minutes and experience and and we're getting there, and slowly but surely, um, I have absolute every confidence. These girls rip me apart at training every single day, and we're getting closer and closer to executing it on the pitch, and I absolutely feel confident that we will. Just before uh, the shootout against China, there was a shot of you on the broadcast looking at a notebook. Now, some athletes like to take note of you know every little detail, use analytics to find a competitive edge. How much work goes into that little notebook? I... <laughs> More, more than they should, actually. It's because my memory is terrible. Uh, there's, there's an awful lot of work and there's an awful lot of frame-by-frame-by-frame by frame by frame analysis that goes into that. Um, it's a game of inches, uh, and if you can win one inch, that can maybe make all the difference. So, And maybe it did, maybe it didn't on the weekend, but um, you know, as we go through, it's definitely part of my process to win that inch every game. One thing I did notice, uh, the commentary team, well, they, they commended your core strength during that shootout with the, the amount that you're moving, the amount that the opponent is moving. How hard is it to stay on your feet for as long as possible to cover the goal? Well, look, 
It's, it's a mental challenge as much as it is a physical one. Uh, I think the longer you stay on your feet, uh, the, the more space there is for them to slip the ball by you. But it's um, look, it's it's my uh, it's my day job. It's my bread and butter. So um, I, the girls do much more impressive things on the pitch than I do back there. Trust me. <laughs> Uh, and of course, uh, China yesterday played USA and they won 4-1. They play again on Friday. When Wellington hold like a mini tournament like this, are you taking the opportunity to watch? Yes, we were out there. Uh, we were out there on the hill. God, you can't beat Welly on a good day. Uh, <laughs> and um, when we were down there, certainly. And and we're watching both of these teams extremely closely. We're watching all international hockey extremely closely at the moment because uh, again, we're coming into qualification and and. And then Paris Olympics, as you say, is creeping up extremely quickly. So we are glued, glued to it. Do you think the Black Sticks and New Zealand hockey is better than what their world ranking right now might suggest? I'm always, of course, I'm going to say yes to that. Absolutely. And as I said, wealth, wealth, wealth of talent that is at this stage an experience. And we're still learning. We're still trying to fit all those pieces together exactly right. Um, It's not an excuse. Certainly, it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us to prove to the world that we are as good as, as we know that we are. Um, because at the end of the day, the only step that matters is the scoreboard and it's our international performances that matter. But we have all of the pieces and the platform uh, and we just have to, we have to convert that. Um, and with you, you know, obviously paying so much attention to what's going on in international hockey, when you face the likes of China and USA. What challenge does that bring you as one of the Black Sticks goalkeepers? Uh, well, look, they're, they're both extremely good teams. The US uh, is a bit of a question mark to us. They haven't been on the international stage for a little while. Um, they've also had a new coach and they've had quite a few personnel changes. Um, I think they look pretty slick, which is nice, coming out of their um, incubation period. The Chinese, obviously, Alison Annan has shifted over to coach them and that is also an extremely slick-looking unit, and I expect big things for them in the future. But again, as I say, we're looking at ourselves and our process at the moment, just getting better and better and better and, and fitting all those little last passes together. Speaking of uh, new coaches coming in, you've got Phil Burrows coming in, taking over from uh, Darren Smith, who was interim uh, once Graham Shaw left. Has Phil brought something different to the Blackstick squad compared to your previous coaches? Oh, certainly. Every coach brings their own ideas and their own their own methods. Um, Phil's fantastic. He's been a black stick, or he was a black stick for an extremely long time, an extremely long time. Yeah. And so he does know how it is to be a player, um, and all of those niggly little things that come with that. And he is extremely confident with this group. Um, he wants us to play a more go forward attacking hockey, while our defenders. Uh, yeah, we, do, we don't want to spend as much time in our defensive circle as we, as we have in the last 12 months. So there are two big focuses, converting up front and holding the ball a bit more around the back. And thus far, that, that really suits us. We're thriving. We're just, again, last pass. We, uh, I mean, we always hear about the head coach, but I feel like we don't hear very often about the, uh, the goalkeeping coach. you got Hugh Biss there uh, working alongside him. How do you think he's helped your ability to be the goalkeeper you are today? He was fantastic. Um, he, like me, is quite an analytical guy. Um, he will tell it straight, which I really appreciate, especially for an old dog. It's hard to learn new tricks, and he's very, very patient with me. But lots of repetition, and again, that that inch that inch of perfectness is what we're chasing. And yes, he's very, very um, 
process-driven, and, and I appreciate that. So, look, perhaps you'll have another inch from me by the time Paris rolls around. I certainly hope so. One thing that I think a lot of people think when they think of Grace O'Hanlon is your athleticism uh, as a goalkeeper. What does your training routine look like to maintain that ability and goal? Uh, we, we do spend a fair bit of time in the gym. Um, a lot of plyometric sort of work in the gym. Um, it's, it's not CrossFit. There's a lot of box jumps and all that sort of stuff. At the end of the day, we're just trying to build that core strength that we can then convert onto the pitch. But at the, the same time, 10,000 hours of hockey goalkeeping, I, you do become quite familiar with the kit. And um, that's, that's sort of where I'm at at the moment, is just is trying to get be in the kit and be with the girls as much as they possibly, possibly can. Um, a lot of the girls are coming and going from Europe club seasons. And so while the girls are home, we're just spending every moment that we can together on the pitch. And so that's where I am. And what about on the turf? Say for any young goalies out there listening, what are some drills that you like to work on that helps with your uh, mobility around the goal? Ooh, look, if you can, skipping, 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 skipping. Fast feet um, are, are vital. That's where it all starts, is with your fast feet, and then go from there. But um, I don't, I'm no good at skipping, but if you're good at it while you're a kid, keep at it. Because I had to relearn as an adult, and it was no good. <laughs> I mean, in sports, right, we often say goalkeepers are uh, their own special breed. What's the relationship like on and off the turf between you and Brooke Roberts? Oh, Brooko is, is the shining light of my day every day. She is, Brooko is, is the kindest glowing soul in our team. She is also the funniest person in our team. So to have to spend most of my time beside Brooko is an absolute blessing for me at training. Um, She's fantastic, did a fantastic year last year and has just arrived since. Mm. And I think between the two of us, I safest houses back there and we're super confident in our little teamwork. So it's yeah, love it. Loving every day of it. Nice. So we're speaking with Black Six goalkeeper Grace O'Hanlon. A couple more questions from me uh, before I let you go. Everyone has their own story and you know how they got into hockey and the position they play. What's your story? Uh, well, in a nutshell, um, I actually started playing hockey and I was extremely shy. Um, so, you know, my mum put me into hockey because I had to play a Saturday sport and um, I was too shy to talk to anyone, so I decided I would be the goalkeeper so I didn't have to go and, and talk to any of the other girls. And now it's 25 years later and here I am, so, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you have over uh, 80 caps to your name now. Uh, as the Black Sticks and Trust an Aussie to 10 their goal, since making your debut, are you feeling more like a Kiwi? Oh, absolutely. I don't even have to wear a jumper when it's 20 degrees anymore. It's, um, <laughs> it, it, it definitely is It's a big part of my heart and a huge part of my home. Um, I, I've, I've lived and thrived. I had COVID here, and I think wherever you have COVID is your home now forever. <laughs> um, I don't think I'll ever be able to leave my flat, but it, it is New Zealand, um, again, as part of my heritage, um, fantastic culture and fantastic place. And, and I do, I love it very much. And I think I'll be here. My partner loves it very much. So it doesn't look like we'll be going anywhere anytime soon. Do you still call Countdown Supermarkets Woolworths? Oh, no, don't ask me that. <laughs> I do. I do. It's, hard. It's, it's a hard habit to break. It's a hard habit to break. Yes. So I, I read that so weird. I, I had to bring it up. Um, away from <laughs> <laughs> away from the competitive uh, hockey environment, what do you enjoy doing to switch off and look after your mental health? Um, I have I have a dog, 
and she's the light of my life. Um, she's actually deaf, so it's a fun challenge. But um, we do, we spend quite a bit of time hiking with her. Um, we go full driving at, at it, well, at Mirawai before the uh, cyclone mm. got paid to that. Um, yeah, I am also, I have a full-time job. Um, I'm an analyst at Milford Asset Management, so I'm actually kept quite busy most of the time. But I wouldn't have it any other way. It's a fantastic, fantastic opportunity for me to be able to play the sport that I love, do work that I love, and, and live the life that I love here. And lastly from me, what does Grace O'Hanlon hope to achieve from hockey in 2023 leading into the Paris Olympics next year? Uh, qualification for Paris. It, that is an absolute must. It's the, it's the one and only goal that I see ahead in the next 12 months. Um, we must must qualify we can we're good enough we deserve it we just must execute at the right time and that's all of our all of our focus is on on that qualification moment in august well thank you for your time grace i've really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better all the best uh, for these next games against china and usa fantastic thank you very much uh, Ten twenty-three here on SCNZ. a few texts uh, have come in which uh, require Repeating and commenting on, uh, Rob says, thanks for getting Marcus uh, onto your show. Really good stuff, uh, especially after the excuses and the dribble I heard yesterday on SENZ Radio from Southie and Craig Cumming. Okay, um, life beyond Broad and Anderson Smithy. Well, it's, I think it's close, isn't it? Uh, to be perfectly honest, Miles, it, it's not far away that uh, Anderson and Broad will go. I mean, the legs have got to give in at some point. They'll play the Ashes at home, and uh, maybe that's a, a wonderful way for one, if not both of them, to say enough's enough and go out with the amazing record that they've achieved. Uh, but um, I just wrote a quick list down. Uh, Archer, uh, you said it's their life without Broaden Anderson. Archer, uh, they'll be getting uh, Joffre Archer back shortly, I would imagine, body permitting. Mark Wood, uh, reputedly one of the quickest in the world at the moment. Uh, Overton, the Overton brothers, uh, the Currens, um, Chris Wokes, Ollie Stone. So, yeah, I suggest that there is uh, a little bit of life um, after uh, those particular combo. Uh, Ollie Robinson, of course, is just uh, starting out, really. So I, I think they're pretty well served, uh, to be honest, Miles, and I, I don't think there's uh, a lot they have to worry about in too many departments at the moment. Spoke about Ben Folks. I believe Ben Folks is the best wicketkeeper batsman in the world. When you see a bats, uh, wicketkeeper able to confidently stand up to the stumps with the likes of Broad and Anderson bowling, um, on a pitch that's offering a wee bit with a pink ball, you know uh, what kind of uh, what kind of keeper he is, uh, top drawer. So uh, I think that there's not too many areas. I mean, uh, Jack Leach is a handy test spinner. He's becoming more and more handy the more experience he gets. But you're never going to say he's um, he's going to be a Nathan Lyon or uh, a finger spinner like Ashwin or Jadeja. But he's going to win a few games for them, and he's going to be a great foil because he can bowl a reasonably consistent line and length. So I think they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty cool. As opposed to us, uh, says Carl, I smithy, since they've left East Sodi to go back to his provincial team, we won't be seeing spin in Wellington. It is madness. Well, if, if they got five fine days in Wellington, I think spin would be a factor towards the end of it. There's no doubt about it, Rory. That's always been the case. Um, and particularly if you've got a good wrist spinner, um, and uh, we won't know too much more about uh, East Sodi as a good wrist spinner at test level because uh, he won't be playing. He did a great job for them uh, in Pakistan. I thought he was one of the better bowlers over there, and I think he probably learnt quite a lot from that. 
and they were flat pitches, which offered not too much. Uh, but East Sodi, oh, I, I kind of feel, deserved to be in the mix. Um, if nothing else, and having him in the nets helping you prepare your batsman, if nothing else. So I, I would be releasing him to go back. I'd be saying, stick around, and when we pull back the covers on Friday morning, it might look a little browner than we first thought, and we might need a specialist spinner. But at this stage, we're looking at uh, Michael Bracewell again um, with just a handful, and I mean just a handful of test matches under his uh, belt and not many of those too as a specialist, the number one specialist spinner. So uh, that is a risk. It's a risk, but uh, it uh, also emphasises uh, of the way that we're going to play. We want batting insurance um, because we're afraid of the England bowling attack. We want batting insurance uh, as far down as we can possibly manage it. So, Rory, that uh, brings uh, your question uh, into doubt, and uh, it's an interesting one. Would they consider Blundell and Latham opening the batting? Uh, then Williamson, Conway, Young and Mitchell. Be asking a lot of Tom Blundell uh, to have to keep and to bat on a regular basis. Uh, I wouldn't be averse to trying it this weekend as a one-off uh, at the Basin Reserve. I, I certainly wouldn't. Uh, I, I'd be thinking, because uh, when, when you play England, you're not actually, believe it or not, you're not in the field that long because of the weight they score. Uh, for instance, they scored 325 the other day and you're only in the field 58.2 overs. Um, so I, I wouldn't be averse to that in a one-off trying to win this test match uh, so yeah you have Williamson at three Conway at four uh, Will Young at five and then Daryl Mitchell at six uh, and then I suppose as they are they're committed to to having uh, Michael Bracewell at seven and then your, your four big boys to be perfectly honest well they aren't big boys anymore but they used to be big boys uh, so your four quick bowlers interesting concept that Morning to me, just a couple of questions. Is there a fine line? Is there a fine line between aggressive and throwing your wicket away? Well, there is. I suppose, I suppose there is, Martin, in that if you've got a licence, if you've got a licence which Marcus Driscothic basically said the England batters have to play the way they want to play, um, without being reckless, without being absolutely stupid, although you'd say one or two of the shots they played and got out to at the weekend were, you, were reckless and uh, and not good. But they've got that that feeling within the group that that's the way you want to play. You want to express yourself, have some fun, go out and do it. Um, I thought our, our, some of our batters were caught in between. Um, I, I think our guys are looking at a kind of cricket they'd quite like to play, but one, I don't think they're allowed to play it, and two, um, I'm not sure some of them are capable of, of playing it very quickly, turning it around very quickly. England have done that. It's been masterful how they've been able to transform themselves into a fairly timid sort of a side into a, a front foot, go get it side. Uh, I'm not sure we've got the capabilities to do that, but we at some point might have to show the inclination to have a go at it. Second, Bruce Edgar seemed to have been doing a very good job administratively, but got cut short. Why was that? Anyway, he could come back. Don't know. Uh, no, Bruce Edgar very well. Have not spoke to him about the, the working side of things. Uh, he was, uh, I think, a predecessor to Gavin Larson in terms of selecting the side. Uh, I, I absolutely, in terms of where Bootsy went with that, um, I do not know. I, I absolutely do not know. But, um, you know, he, uh, fairly easy sort of a dude to get on with Bruce Edgar, but he does have his principles. Uh, I'm not sure Bruce Edgar would be a, a huge advocate of uh, cutting loose with a, a bat in hand at t test over in, in the first session. I'm not sure he'd uh, have too many thoughts or memories of going to Troy and score at six or seven and over. And I... I uh, he's more a uh, two or three and bat till lunch and let's see what it's like this afternoon sort of thing, sort of opener and it served us well with John Wright for a long period of time, didn't it? 
Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of question marks being raised about this performance um, by England and this performance against New Zealand. We knew England were going to play this way. There was absolutely no secret about how they were going to come here and try and play. They had a relaxed build-up, barbecues, they went to races, they went to Queenstown, played a bit of golf, got themselves into the right mood uh, to go to work together. Uh, and and you know they've they've absolutely implemented what they were going to say, um, and we weren't able to counter it. Neil Wagner's bowling figures were interesting for me at one point. I think he was going for 10 runs and over. Had a couple of wickets, but 10 runs and over in a test match. Uh, the other thing that was of interest to me too is uh, one of the things you can try and do uh, when a side is coming at you is slow the pace of the game down. And In fact, take your, take your time in between deliveries, take your time in between overs. Uh, we tried that, didn't we, on the first day? 325 for nine and just 58.2 overs. We're out in the field for over five hours. That's uh, uh, an over rate of just over 11 overs per hour. Uh, I wonder if anything will come out of that. But we weren't able to stem the flow. Um, mm, interesting, and uh, not too many positive thoughts uh, coming from me, are there? i take a good long look at myself and give myself an uppercut. It's 10.30 here on SENZ. He's flicked it away. That's a great shot. That will go for four. And now he is within touching distance. Right then, here we go. <laughs> 621 for six. And Brennan McCullum is on 298. Well, that uh, makes the hair on the back here. Your next stand up a wee bit, not so much the commentary, but the event. Um, it was amazing, wasn't it? Brendan McCullum uh, being the first to ever bring up uh, 300. It's nine years ago. Um, uh, it was nine years ago on February the 18th, so just a, a day or so ago when uh, he made history by becoming the first and only black cap to reach 300. And in an innings, that uh, iconic moment took place, of course, at the Basin Reserve, where he will now return to as, yes, the England Test coach. Uh, Baz recently sat down with uh, Mike Hesson. Uh, you can catch the full interview on demand via Sky Sport now if you like, or just uh, look for a replay on Sky's TV guide. But here is a selection of our favourite clips, starting with Baz on calling time on his playing career. So I'm actually going to start, um, I'm going to start at the end of the playing side of things. And, and I remember a, an initial discussion we had in a hotel in Perth where you sort of called me over and, and told me that you'd sort of had enough and you were going to call time on your career. And after about 15 seconds of trying to convince you, I realised that I was going to get no luck. <laughs> so do you want to just talk us through what you were feeling at that stage? Yeah, I guess um, I remember the, the conversation quite vividly as well. I think I think if we kind of go back a few steps, like, as you're well aware, my style of leadership was quite consuming and I sort of knew that I wouldn't be doing it for a long period of time. I'd sort of pour my heart and soul into it and really immerse myself in not just the environment but also the, the guys within the team's lives as well and, and really sort of invest in it. So I knew that it was it was never going to be a long um, run at it. Um, so I sort of was always slightly aware that at some stage there'd be a time which that had kind of hit me that, that there might be, the team would need a different direction and, and I think, you know, I'd, I think I got the timing makes it quite, quite good in the end, I think, because not only was I 
kind of running out of steam as well. Um, but also, I think the team was ready for a different direction, which was Kane and and you know what we've seen from the New Zealand team since uh, I left is is that layer of consistency come about, and that's you know very much in Kane's leadership model and and the guys around him, and I think they all grew um, when uh, when Kane took over. So I thought. It was, I thought it was a pretty good decision, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, I wasn't that keen on it at the time, but um, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there was a, a different phase, isn't there, when people come in and, and they need to take over and take some more responsibility. So, yeah, look, it was a good time. It was just heading up to that 2016 World Cup. There was a fairly big transition of players. So, um, and the boys seemed to front up pretty well there. Did you have any idea at the time around what you, what was next for you? No, not really. And, you know, what I'm like here, so it's not really my style either. You know, you kind of just, in my opinion, you just immerse yourself in whatever it is and, and you give all of yourself to that, what that task is. And, and I wasn't too worried. Certainly wasn't going to try and protect anything by hanging in there too long. I just wanted to see where it got to. I, I thought I might step out of the game for a little while. Um, but it's funny when you're out of it, how quickly you, you miss it as well. And it's not even the, the cricket itself, it's the relationships and the people and the um, the camaraderie which you, you kind of, um, that you get while playing in, in a team sport. And, um, you know, I've been very lucky that since I did leave the New Zealand side, um, I've still been able to play in franchise cricket around the world, coach in franchise cricket, commentate, um, be a part of, uh, not just TV but also radio and now obviously into the job here at England so um, it's been a, a really cool transition um, each of those jobs I've taken on I feel like I've I've given myself to those jobs as well not all of them have worked um, which is okay as well um, but I'm certainly enjoying the one that I've got now. Mm, absolutely and uh, of course we're listening to uh, Brenna McCallum talking to Mike Hesson, uh, Mike Hesson, the interviewer. We used to be Mike Hesson, the coach of Brenna McCallum, the captain, and uh, uh, how uh, roles can quickly change within the game. Um, so that was uh, Brenna McCallum and uh, finishing up with his New Zealand career. He mentioned right at the end, of course, uh, that he's got a new role, uh, and that is uh, coaching England. And uh, these are his uh, thoughts on that. As I said, doing a bit of radio, doing a bit of commentary, doing a bit of coaching in the IPL. And then you, you decided to, to give this coaching gig a decent crack um, in terms of take it on full-time what was the what was your motivation uh well probably because it's a hard I mean, coaching can be quite challenging at times yeah it is I mean you know what I'm like yes I love people you know there's sort of I love seeing people being able to achieve things which they initially had dreams of and then sometimes it's, those dreams are kind of whittled down a little bit because of pressures and anxieties and failures and and sometimes environments as well. So what I love about being a coach is the ability to free guys up to be able to create an environment where you, you just remind them of those initial dreams and aspirations you had and you try and work out how do you how do you play a small part in being able to continue to give them the freedom and the confidence um, and the consistency of message to get them to be better than what maybe or to, to achieve what they initially set out to achieve. So that's why I got into it. Um, I didn't, I don't get into it necessarily for winning or losing. Obviously, winning is great, and and ultimately we we gauged uh, we judged on whether we win or whether we lose. But I genuinely, it doesn't bother me whether if we win or we lose. It's for me. Don't get me wrong. I still smoke a cigar and have a red wine after a test match win. But for me, it's the it's are we able to are we able to free ourselves up enough 
to handle the pressures, to handle all of the external noise and things and to handle the self-doubt to still go out there and have a crack. If we are and we get beat, sweet as. If we, you know, if we don't do that, then that's to me where I've failed somewhere along the line. So that's kind of my assessment of, well, my self-judgment of myself as a coach is very much geared around that. Is if we're not able to free someone up, then that's our problem, not, not so much theirs. I kind of think you'd have a red wine and a cigar if they lost. Brennan McCullum, be perfectly honest. I, I think it's just not a winning thing. It's a Brennan McCullum thing. So uh, that uh, was interesting with his uh, thoughts there on win, or winning or losing. Uh, wouldn't it be great to, to have that kind of attitude um, as any coach? Be a winner. Ian Foster wouldn't mind that kind of liberty, would he? Uh, right, OK. Baz, uh, we heard about the, we heard the commentary uh, from the uh, 300 um, just a moment or two ago. Um, what about his thoughts on achieving that wonderful milestone? Well, I know James Neesham got his debut 100 that, so everyone will remember that test match. Yeah, definitely. But you got 300. And you're not a, I wouldn't say you're an emotional guy, and I'm not going to say brought tears to your eyes, but, you know, it was a pretty special time um, when you reached 300. Can you just just talk us through your, yeah, your, I guess your emotions or what was going through your head at that time? Yeah, it was really bizarre. Look, it's something I'll never forget, honestly, the, the what was it? It felt like, it, was, it felt like five minutes. It was probably... 90 seconds where the entire crowd stood up and they were applauding and literally wouldn't sit down. Um, kind of really kind of dawned on me, or not just then actually, it dawned on me beforehand, but that was the moment where I sort of felt just a massive amount of relief. <laughs> you kind of didn't let anyone down. Um, obviously you're proud of what you achieved, but um, it was more that you didn't let anyone down. Um, it's funny because I wonder if, you know, if you had your time again, would you have done anything differently? I, I don't know if I would. I was so exhausted from the time that it took to to get those runs and partnerships that we were able to create but you know, I just remember that I sort of I realized this is quite a big big deal you know sort of and when you achieve big deal sort of items in test cricket that means a lot to a lot of people so yeah I'm just pleased I didn't let anyone down. <laughs> <laughs> Smithy, I love almost the kind of humbleness there with Baz, how he doesn't want to let anyone down. You called that moment in history nine years ago. You almost kind of mm. hear it in your own voice. I know we talk about the commentator's curse. What was going through your mind in that moment when he was a couple of runs shy of that 300? Well, it's lots of things, actually, to be honest, because we sat on it uh, overnight. It was, um, I think, going into a Monday morning. Um, so a lot of things. Uh, first of all, what struck me is going to the ground of, and looking at the lines of people outside. This is a test match that really wasn't going anywhere. Um, but uh, there were lines and lines of people who clearly had taken a little bit of time off work because they were dressed that way. There were men in suits, there were women who were dressed in work clothes, etc., as opposed to sitting on the bank clothes. Um, and I, I think that's where it first struck a lot of us, that just how much it meant. And I mean... Just prior to um, the first wall being bowled, they were still queuing out the gates. They uh, can't remember whether they charged them to get in. I think they did, but they were prepared to pay to watch a bit of history. It wasn't a guarantee he was going to make it. So that was point one. Uh, point two uh, was that I'd lived through this with Martin Crow. remember. Martin Crow out for 299. Um, and we'd, we'd, we'd been through this, and uh, we, it was almost a, an air of surety that he was going to get it, and bang, out, 299 in the most unlikely way. Uh, to the most unlikely bowler. 
And so I thought, no, surely this can't happen again. It's known uh, in New Zealand cricket had achieved it. We, we begin to wonder if anyone ever would. Um, and here we sit on this opportunity again. Three, I knew Brendan um, as uh, a player. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to know him a, a little bit socially as well. So sort of appreciate that a little bit more than you would someone that you don't know. Um, and four, I was trying to think, well, if this comes up, how are you going to mark it as a commentator? And when we got to the ground, uh, I was not rostered on in that first half hour. Uh, it didn't take, it took Brendan a, long, a little longer than half an hour to get it, so I wasn't rostered on. So I, I didn't think I was going to call it. So you sort of caught, caught by surprise. And um, so sure enough, uh, we get it in our little uh, stint. And I think from memory, uh, he's always, a, he's a little fella. He's a little Kiwi battler, a little guy. You know, and I always thought, you know, uh, the word little hat would have to come into it somewhere. Um, and... Uh, I, I just don't, it just it just comes out. Sometimes it comes out and you feel like a complete and utter idiot. Uh, sometimes it comes out and it sort of fits okay. And once or twice it's managed. I've been lucky that it's happened to do that. But and to be perfectly honest, you don't. I've no I've no scripts. No script when I when I uh, have a commentary as such as that. What I do remember is though uh, we commentated that standing. Uh, so when you stand commentating, you're not sitting down just looking out the window with a day, ball by ball sort of thing. We're actually standing. It's like we were almost... And then the, the commentary box erupted into applause. You, you might have heard it in the background. There were people in the background, and the commentary box at the base is quite big, so there were quite a lot of people uh, floating around, probably 10, 15, 20 people in the commentary box. Um, and so there, it actually burst into applause. So you get a little bit of live atmosphere in the commentary box as opposed to just out the window. And then all those beautiful shots came in from the, the Sky Camera people of... The reaction around a pretty chock basin reserve, chocker basin reserve, um, special mate, absolutely special, and uh, beautifully relived there by Brendan. Beautifully relived by you too, mate. Enjoyed listening to that. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, it's uh, that's what that morning unfolded like, and then we uh, all went back to work, as they say. <laughs> Some of us uh, carried on commentating, and the rest went back to the office. It was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Ten forty-five here on SENZ. Loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. 10.51 here. We're joined uh, Christchurch based now. Louis Herman Watt and uh, some uh, bittersweet actually over the weekend. Um, uh, the Avondale Cup uh, was won by Aquacade, of course. Um, Louis, owned uh, by Brendan and Joe Lindsay out of uh, Cambridge Stud, and uh, at the uh, presentation, uh, Brendan donated all of uh, the uh, the money that he earned from that race to the Flood Appeal in Hawke's Bay, which is a terrific gesture. And, um, you know, I, I guess it's just a, a case of uh, people appreciating uh, other people in times of need, but uh, really nice. Awesome, and they're brilliant people, very charitable. They have the Lindsay Trust. Um, they do great things, so I wasn't surprised to see that. Or Tony Pike and Michael McNabb doing the same thing the day earlier uh, from the Wairoa Cup, I believe it was, that raced at New Plymouth. So um, lots of charity, NZTR, Dunstan Horse Feeds, uh, the lot, uh, doing great job raising money for feed. Um, you can go to loveracing.nz to check out and see how you can donate there. Uh, Tiako, I know, ran their own um, fundraiser as well. Look, I'm certain, I'm certain I've missed it a bunch, but I know there's so many people in the thoroughbred industry in particular that are doing so much. Uh, I know Holly Wynyard took a couple of trucks 
over from their Otaki base with feed and supplies and stuff to look after the equine population of the region that you're in, Smithy. So, mate, very well yeah. said, mate. And, um, and Oops. yeah, so, yep. no, you're right. Oh, I'm there. I'm here. I'm still here, I think. Am mm. I here? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just going to say, Smithy, very busy uh, run home for the week here for Thoroughbred Action. We've got Pukakaui, we got Maramara this weekend as well, Otaki, the mile down there. Um, there's a couple more meets in between, including Wanganui. So it's very, very busy. And I think Rickon even might even sneak in a meet as well. Uh, we've got, I think, five meets in four days, which is very exciting. There'll be plenty of thoroughbred action. So every day for the rest of this week, I'll be tipping you a winner. Good on you, Louis. Look forward to it, mate. I uh, hope you're settling in well down there in Christchurch. We'll hear from you tomorrow. It is uh, 10.53 here on SENZ. <laughs> And just time to catch up quickly with uh, Brendan Popwell before uh, the 11 o'clock news BP. But hard to find some sports betting activity today. What uh, have you got in mind? Yeah, uh, morning to you, Stockley. Yeah, not much happening at the moment, to be honest with you, in terms of today. So we have to look ahead. We've got Real Madrid best back in the Champions League tomorrow against Liverpool. They're currently sitting at $3. We've had around 60% of our betting in the head-to-head market there. Let's jump to the weekend. Super Rugby, Crusaders, 142, Chiefs, 290. Seen some good money around the Chiefs at the 290 mark. Hurricanes against the Reds, 160 for the Hurricanes. They've been well taken at that price against the Reds, over 240. And the Blues, 137 against the Highlanders. They've been strongly played to win and also to win that match, 13 and over. In terms of cricket, uh, the uh, second test match, England, well supported at the 186. There has been some weather betting on the draw. The draw is currently sitting at $4.15, and the black caps sit at $3.50, and no surprise, they're a little friendless. Mm, a little friendless, uh, as opposed to UBP, popular everywhere that you go. Uh, thanks very much, mate. Have a terrific day, uh, and uh, we shall uh, catch up with another great friend of the show. In fact, he is very much part of our show, uh, especially when... Uh, someone's away. Ricardo Ball next. Uh, we're going to talk some football after the break. Yeah, going to be talking football with Ricardo uh, very shortly, hopefully. Uh, it's uh, 11.03. Scott has come in with his uh, Dream 11 if uh, available and fit. Uh, this is for the second test match uh, against England. Tom Latham, Devin Conway, Kane Williamson, Will Young, uh, Dane Cleaver at uh, number five, who would also be your wicketkeeper. Uh, Tom Blundell at six, Daryl Mitchell at seven, Doug Bracewell at eight, Tim Southey as captain at number nine, Ajaz Patel at ten, uh, and Trent Bolt at eleven. So Latham, Conway, Williamson, Young, Cleaver, Blundell, Mitchell, Bracewell, Southey, Patel, and Bolt. Handy side, uh, some good all-rounders uh, capabilities in there. Uh, I would uh, give the gloves uh, to Blundell. I don't think he's done anything wrong as a wicketkeeper. In fact, he's done very little wrong as a wicketkeeper batsman. Pretty well served there. Uh, but um, I know probably if he was going to play as a specialist batsman, I'd think very seriously about opening with him. I, I really would. Uh, and that you can um, bring uh, maybe Conway down to strengthen the middle order uh, after Williamson. Shaps uh, back Conway at three, Williamson at four. Um, just because Kane Williamson has batted at number three predominantly all his career doesn't mean to say he can't bat at number four. I mean, you know, uh, it's just batting. Uh, and Will Young um, will uh, fit in there somewhere. I, I, I hope he gets a run this weekend, but I seriously uh, doubt that he will. Uh, I'm 
I'm a big fan of being faithful for a, a period of time, but I, I certainly, I absolutely certainly don't uh, believe um, that um, Henry Nichols is in the kind of form we need him to be in. Uh, oh, Smithy, thanks for playing that interview. What I also remember about Brendan's innings was that he'd been fighting hard to save the test from the start. Uh, he showed great courage and resolve he does, as he did the ones at the other end and ending up creating history. Margaret, you're right. Uh, you've got a very good memory. He got great support in that test match. Um, as we uh, talked about, it was, um, of course, Jimmy Neatham's and Jimmy Neatham's uh, Maiden 100. Uh, I think there's a partnership too uh, in that test match uh, with BJ Watling uh, involved. So, uh, I mean, it was, it was just a fantastic uh, performance uh, f- from Brendan that particular innings uh, all day and then uh, early the next day as well. And ironically, uh, I think uh, the ball or two after he got the 300, he nicked out. Now, it was incredible cricket uh, in that respect. You think sometimes you're just never, ever going to nick one, never going to get out. Um, and you do. Um, and that was, of course, uh, what happened to Martin Crow on 299. So we're just, uh, boys, we've got question marks here a little bit. I don't think we're able to raise uh, Ricardo at the moment. So um, we'll just uh, box on in the interim. Um, and uh, honestly, uh, talking about, I, I did watch uh, last night the the Football Ferns, uh, Logan. I thought um, they were better. I think it's fair to say that they were better last night. Uh, but they just can't buy a goal. They absolutely cannot buy a goal this year. Uh, and when you look at their record for leading into this World Cup, um, they've lost all their games conceding 16 goals and scoring none. It doesn't tend to augur well looking in from the outside. No, and I, I can imagine there must be a lot of frustration coming through in that camp alone. Uh, Yitka Kunkova switching up the uh, formation a few months out from the World Cup, trying to find some answers, trying to find something that clicks. Not scoring a goal in this calendar year does raise a lot of concerns. I know they're battling with a lot of injuries too, Smithy. Trying to get a full, healthy squad ahead of this World Cup seems like it's going to be a challenge on its own, especially in the goalkeeping ranks. Uh, I've noticed, I think they're down to about their third string goalkeeper with um, uh, Naylor having to take charge as well. But, I, I mean, Ricardo probably would, would know a lot more on, on this than we do uh, once he stirs from his, from his uh, Manchester United uh, man cave that he has there at his house. Uh, but uh, I just want to see some results. And I know that was one of your wishes on your sporting wish list as well, was for them to compete admirably uh, on on the world stage. I know they have set their own goals. They want to win their first ever uh, FIFA Women's World Cup match, and they would like to get out of their group. So, But the way things are going at the moment, who's to say if they'll even get there, Smithy? Uh, well, Jitte uh, Klim Clover, who is, uh, of course, the head coach, must be under a little bit of pressure, I would imagine. I don't think they're going to change uh, their head coach this uh, far out from a World Cup. In fact, uh, only a matter of months away. But uh, certainly she's. Uh, w- what the, they need to do is to get that one. What they need is uh, to play with credibility and play with pride. And um, that performance against Portugal wasn't anything but that. Uh, they had a stand-in captain last night and Olivia Chance. Uh, she actually did score and it was ruled out on a very, very tight situation. A really tight situation um, for offside. Uh, video insistent referee didn't intervene, so uh, the, the ruling was uh, was standing there. But uh, that could have gone either way, and who knows how that might have lifted them because that would have got them back to one all uh, in that situation. But uh, for mine and um, no football expert as such, they just seem to give the ball away too readily. Um, you know, they just don't s- s- tend to string enough passes together. Uh, and, and just keep possession of the ball and keep gifting it back. So 
Oh, I would imagine that's uh, one of the focuses, but yeah, it's, it's a it's a bit of a wait and see, I think. And uh, when they get their full squad together, when they get the full squad together, I, I think they'll uh, make a difference. But the uh, the actual expert uh, has joined us on the line now, and that uh, is Ricardo Bullrock. Ricardo, uh, good morning to you. Just looking back on that performance last night, certainly better it seemed uh, than the performance against uh, Portugal on Friday. Um, but there's still areas uh, uh, areas of concern. One, they can't find the, the back of their own net, uh, back of the net, and of course, uh, to me, they just don't seem to be able to hold position for long enough. No, I agree, Smithy, hundred um, percent. I mean, you know, it, it had to be better than Portugal because, you know, I mean, it's one thing losing four nil or five nil to the US, who won back to back World Cups and are number one in the world, but to lose like that to a team only two places different to you was abysmal. Um, they don't look like they know what they're doing, to be honest. Um, it's like you're throwing a bunch of strangers together. They, they look better at the start of Yipka's reign than they do now. I don't know what's changed in the in the meantime. Um, I know that they have been without a few players. Like, you know, for, for mine, Erin Naylor wouldn't be my number one, but when you have Anna Leet and Vic Essen pull out, then, and Lily Elfeld, um, who had a such a good season last season, is injured. You don't really have too many more options. Um, I don't think Erin is uh, the number one anymore. Um, she shouldn't be considered that. But I mean, you know, it's about it's about uh, what you've got at your disposal. Rhea Percival's obviously coming back from an injury. She's important. Ali Riley, great captain, great for the media. Uh, I, I wonder about uh, how long she's got left at this level. She's I think 35, 36 now. Um, I don't know that she can play as a fullback uh, at international level. I, I wonder if they do what they did with Rhea with her, actually, and move her inside to more of a defensive midfield position um, because I don't know that she's got the wheels on the wing any, or, you know, on the uh, on the flanks anymore. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of problems there. Um, I talked to Chris Milicic about this a while ago. He's obviously coached New Zealand at under-20 level, and, you know, he said it, it, it felt like um, there was a real disconnect um, and that they didn't really... Uh, know what they were doing marking-wise. Are they zonally marking? Are they player-for-player marking? Um, the fact that Yitka has then gone to uh, you know, a 3-4-3 a three, three after having played four three threes means a lot differently at the back, and that seemed to be a problem. You know, uh, One of those Portuguese goals, there's a player receiving the ball in the six-yard box with about two metres either side of it. No one nearer. Um, and and that, that's an issue. And I wonder if Yitka's sort of struggling to find an answer as well because at the moment it doesn't bode well for the World Cup. Uh, I know we got a win over the Philippines and the States uh, last year in a, in, a, um, in a friendly game over there, uh, but I mean they're ranked well down and they're on our group at the moment. They're the only team I think we can beat um, that's at the World Cup. I don't see us getting out of our group. No, well I can't at this stage um, unfortunately and uh... I think it's uh, worthwhile looking very closely at them because this is going to be a huge event and we want to play with credibility. Uh, the other thing that uh, obviously would buy us some credibility is our ability to score goals. Uh, we haven't got one this calendar year, nearly got one last night. We use, uh, when she's available, Hannah Wilkinson as a bit of a target up front. But uh, it doesn't appear that uh, there's enough there at the moment to threaten opposition into worrying about defence, let alone how they're going to beat us. No, that's right. I mean, you know, I think uh, Grace Jale is another option that uh, you know they've looked at them in tandem, and that that that's quite a uh, quite a physical front too. Um, Paige Satchel's been used there in the past, but you know, Paige is um, she's very she's very quick, uh, but she needs to improve her touch because you know at the top level, 
uh, you can knock a ball past the player and, and, and beat them to the ball, but it's retaining that position, and she's struggled a bit with that um, at the international level as well. We saw that against the Koreans where she would make a break but then lose the ball to the covering defender because the, the touch was, just wasn't good enough. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot to look at and, and a lot to, to be concerned about from a, uh, a football fern's point of view. And, you know, as you said, Smithy, we saw what happened at the Rugby World Cup, the Women's Rugby World Cup, uh, when the country really got behind them, but they need to be able to put performances together. There needs to be some belief there so that the public can believe, so that they can get into it. And at the moment, it feels like um, we'll be hosting a party for others, but we won't be partaking. Yeah, we won't be blowing out any candles. There's no doubt about that. I, and that worries me because, uh, you know, this is a real chance, a real showcasing chance uh, for women's football, just as women's rugby, and they will reap the benefit of it, I'm sure. But uh, women's football um, is uh, at a crossroads here, and um, you don't want to ha- host something and see the game go backwards, and let's hope that is not the case. They have to front up and find a way to do that. Uh, as opposed to the Wellington Phoenix, uh, Ricardo, who last uh, weekend against Western United, produced what uh, Ufuk Tolo called is a pretty complete performance, 3-0. Yeah, and it's been a long you know, long time coming. The Phoenix have played some great football this season, Smithy. We've talked about it, but they've really uh, not been able to hold leads, and that's been an issue, you know. So um, it was good to see them go in front, away at the defending champions, and hold the lead, and then build on the lead, and keep a clean sheet, which have been few and far between. I think we've considered the second most goals in the A-League this season despite being in the playoff positions, you know so need to sort that out um, There was a, a stat that came out after last week when uh, they blew that 1-0 lead against Picatha and missed two pens that the Phoenix had given up 20 points from leading positions this season which, you know, would put them top of the league if they'd been able to hold those mm. positions so the football is there, the skill is there they've got a great squad um, and it's just up to Ufuk Tale to get that, I don't know whether it's a a continued intensity, if some mental focus thing, uh, what it is. But he, he's managed to find a way to do it against Western United on the weekend, and it was a fantastic result, and a result I think the team has deserved because they've been playing some fantastic football this season. Right. Well, uh, if they're looking to back it up this weekend, they uh, have to back it up against uh, a side going pretty well on the Central Coast Mariners with a striker by the name of Jason Cummings, who uh, yeah. is becoming a little bit prolific this year. Uh, second only behind uh, Jamie McLaren. Uh, how do we stop him, and uh, what do we have to do to beat the, the, the Mariners and get a result? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, because the Mariners on paper, Smithy, are not one of the better teams in the league, um, but they they have got um, a lot of belief about them. Uh, they are a team that are more than some of their parts. Um, Nick Montgomery, who used to be a real combative midfielder for Central Coast Mariners, um, has now taken over he took over last season as as the boss of that team, and he's doing really, really good things with a lot of young players. Storm Roos there, the uh, the all white fullback, and they've just brought in James McGarry as well, another former Phoenix um, fullback who's been playing at Newcastle. They've brought him in at Central Coast, so uh, they 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 do good things, and they're a bit of a bogey team for the Phoenix. So it will be interesting to see how Ufuk Talley and the team uh, go in this game because. Central Coast have been getting some great results. Uh, they're, they're currently second in the league, um, so they're, they're not going to be any pushovers. I, I think this is going to be a fantastic game on paper, and I know games aren't played on paper, Smithy, but on paper, the Phoenix have the better squad. They just need to be able to actually um, execute that, and, uh, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what impact having Scott Wooten come back into the team will have as well, because uh, I think he's been a big miss for a while. It looks like he'll be back in the mix. 
fascinating results uh, in the EPL over the weekend, including, including I might add, uh, Chelsea um, losing to uh, Southampton at the bottom of the table, which uh, was a, a bit of a major for me. Yeah, it's really weird what's going on at Chelsea at the moment under Graham Potter. Um, I've got some uh, some good friends who are big Chelsea fans and they're very much Potter out and have been for a while. Um, I don't know that it's entirely Potter's fault. Uh, I, I mean, I know he is the coach and the and the buck stops there, right? That, that, that's kind of what you've got to think. But he doesn't have a striker and uh, that has got to be um, a, a real issue. If you don't have a striker, you don't have somebody who can put the ball in the back of the net that's a massive issue, and you know the thing is, they've got, uh, they, well, they, they brought in uh, Aubameyang, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang from from Barcelona, um, but he's not rated. He obviously Potter doesn't want him. He was brought in for Thomas Tuchel, who then they fired about a week later. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not it's not working. I mean, Potter rates Pierre Emerick Aubameyang so lowly that he didn't even include him in his Champions League squad, so he can't actually select him in the Champions League, uh, and they don't have a striker at the moment. But the 10th in the Premier League, uh, Potter, uh, he's got the lowest win percentage of a Chelsea manager um, in the last 27 years, was just under 30%. Um, so, you know, it's it's really gone poorly for him. Um, I, d- I did think that the game before that, the Champions League game away at Dortmund, they were by far the better team in that game and just didn't score. You know, and Dortmund got one chance and they put it away. And that's the problem. It, it almost mirrors a bit, Smithy, I don't know if you remember, his time at Brighton. But he had a, a, an excellent team and played great football and struggled to score goals. That was their problem. So maybe this is a Potter effect. I'm not sure. But he, he certainly doesn't have a Haaland or a Rashford or a Kane. He doesn't have that type of player at his disposal. And that's what really is missing at Chelsea. And that's despite having spent £300 million on players just last <laughs> month. Right. OK, let's look at the top of the league. Arsenal, 54 points from 23 games played. Uh, one point behind uh, Man City. Um, but Arsenal have a game in hand there, and they also have uh, a game in hand on Man U on 49 points. So it's far from done and dusted. It is far from done and dusted, especially when you consider that United and City have played each other twice already, yet Arsenal and City have got to play each other again, and that one's at City. So that could be a really decisive factor. Um, it, uh, Manchester City, something is up there though, Smithy. I mean, they have uh, dropped 15 points away from home this season, which is very un-Pep-like. Uh, and I think there are, there are problems behind the scenes. I don't think Haaland and Pep get on particularly well. Uh, Jao Cancelo, who with a Portuguese fullback, he can play left or right back. Probably the best fullback in the Premier League the last couple of seasons. There's obviously a fallout between him, him and Pep because um, Pep let him go to Bayern Munich in the transfer window and didn't replace him. So you've got uh, Kyle Walker on one side, who's nearly 33, and you've got Sergio Rico, who they brought in uh, from um, uh, Belgium, uh, who's very much untested, uh, and Rico Lewis, who's a youngster through the academy, who's only 18. Those are their fullback options now. So I wonder whether or not Pep has shot himself in the foot a little bit there, because uh, it, it's a very... Uh, up and down city side this season, which we haven't seen before. So I, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating uh, run into the uh, into May and see how that goes. And I also think, mate, if you look at where Arsenal are at the moment and who they've got coming up, they've got a very nice run of games coming. So they next play Leicester away, then they have Everton at home, Bournemouth at home, 
Fulham away and Palace at home and then Leeds at home. Those are their next six mm. games in the Premier League. And you would think all of those teams, um, bar Fulham, are probably three points in the bag. Yeah, it's uh, looking like 15 to 18 points, which is going to make uh, even for Manchester City, uh, Manchester United as well, uh, who's just sit five points behind them. Um, I guess optimistic that they can pull them back, but uh, there's still 14 games to go in the season. Um, and on the back of uh, Marcus Rashford, who has been red hot since the World Cup, 14 Premier League goals. Um, uh, Manchester United under Ten Hag are starting to find uh, where you want them to be. Yeah, uh, they they really are. You know, um, they're, they're playing some really good football. Um, they're scoring great goals. Rashford. I mean, the best thing that, that, that could have happened to him was Ronaldo leaving the club. That's becoming more and more obvious. And you know, that the, the, probably the one thing that you would say is that if he gets injured or suspended, where do the goals come from? Because um, Martial is very uh, injury prone. He's in and out of the squad. Uh, Verkhorst works very hard. Doesn't score a lot of goals. So. I think the second highest scorer in the United squad is Bruno Fernandes with seven. So they, they, they need to find goals from somewhere else if Rashford goes down. Uh, and the thing for United, in terms of you know people talking whether or not they have a Premier League tilt in them, a title tilt, I just wonder how many, uh, if it might be a bridge too far this season because of the games they've got. Now, you remember that Arsenal... Uh, don't have a uh, don't don't aren't in the League Cup. Uh, obviously, the League Cup finals come up. They're out of the FA Cup as well. I don't think uh, they're in Europe anymore either. Um, so Arsenal's next game is Leicester City away this weekend, and then they have um, you know uh, about uh, six days before the next game. Whereas Manchester United uh, this Friday play Barcelona. Uh, in the Europa League, and then on Monday play Newcastle in the League Cup final, and then on Thursday play West Ham in the FA Cup. Uh, before the following Monday, they go they go to Liverpool in the league. So uh, they've got a, a hell of a lot of games in a short period of time. In fact, I think uh, in the next 23 days uh, they have uh, seven, uh, six games. So uh, it's just whether or not the the, the squad can cope with uh, the amount of games that they've got. Uh, Ricardo, Joey has texted in and said Can I ask you, uh, the rumours that Harry Kane going to United uh, Just press talk or have you stopped knocking on Harry's door? Uh, yeah, I mean that that is one that doesn't seem to go away But I wonder whether or not that's coming from United Or whether that's coming from Harry's agent to get him a better deal at Spurs um, Or maybe to alert other clubs like the Real Madrids and the Bayern Munich Who in the previously have been interested in him As a United fan I'm not that interested in Harry Kane, to be honest. I think his best years are beyond him. He's got ankle problems. Um, I think they'd be better going and finding a younger striker that they can invest in and get more time out of and have potentially more uh, value in the market down the track. All right. OK. Uh, Ricardo, as always, uh, fantastic uh, to catch up with you, uh, mate. And I uh, look forward to uh, doing so again very shortly. Cheers, man. Have a great day. Yeah, you too, mate. Thank you. Yeah, Ricardo Borlea with us uh, looking at uh, all things football. It's 11.23 here on SENZ. To the sports desk, uh, around about uh, 11.40 this morning, uh, catch up with uh, Logan Swinkles uh, on what is hot uh, going on around the world. Uh, but you continue to uh, send in your uh, cricket team options and uh, players coming in and out, and uh, we uh, thank you for that throughout the morning. Uh, Craig from uh, the Bay, a regular uh, Communicator with us here on SENZ says, uh, regarding our uh, cricket team, I think Phillips needs to be there somewhere. Latham, Conway, Williamson and Blundell can all dig in and bat long. Mitchell has the ability to do that role along with pick up the run rate. 
We don't have an explosive batsman, and I think we can afford one in the team. Uh, it might not be uh, someone that always comes off, but if he does, it will be great. Uh, and when he doesn't, hopefully one of those uh, others will bat long. Just my thoughts, yeah? And I think asking... Uh, I, I like I like your thinking. I, I like the attitude there. And uh, on the basis of uh, trying to keep up with uh, England or trying to invent a, a new way of playing the game, a Phillips-type player, I think, uh, is well worth... Uh, go there. Uh, we need to look at uh, the style of, of player that England has. Obviously, they have Joe Root, absolute world-class player. We match him with Kane Williamson. Uh, these days, Joe Root is a little bit more expansive. Some may say just a little bit more reckless than he used to be. But um, you know, if you you look at uh, Joe Root, it's undeniable uh, the qualities he's got, as uh, it is with uh, Ben Stokes. Around them, still players looking to get established in their roles. Uh, Crawley seems to have um, the, the the tick uh, from Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes. Uh, ben Duckett has at the moment. They've tried other players along with Crawley. Um, Ollie uh, Ollie is uh, Ollie Pope is a re- really fine player, a really fine player uh, in the making. Busy little player, aggressive, likes to keep up with the run rate. Has um, bought into the way that uh, England want to play their Test cricket and uh, changed his uh, style ever so. Uh, slightly to try and keep up with that momentum. They're, they're a very good side. Uh, we have not got a lot of depth in New Zealand cricket, but the little bit that we have, the little bit that we have deserves an opportunity at some point. And you're right, Craig, Phillips may well be a candidate to throw in there if there is a change of attitude. Uh, it is 11.31. There is $50 up for grabs from the TAB now, 0800-150-811. Your opportunity uh, to stump Smithy or to be stumped by Smithy is here on SENZ. In the meantime, here is the news with Aroha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. We've got a $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs today, Smithy. We're going to go all around the country, but we will start with Auckland. Before we get there, how are you liking your chances of getting it up to 100? Yeah, do. Uh, I, I do, actually. Um, I'm looking forward to taking on, um, uh, it looks like Joey first, so um, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, matching my wit with him. Uh, what, are we, what are we looking at in terms of um, subjects, just by the by? I'll just give you a little preview, Smithy. Golf, cricket and basketball. Uh, so three topics that we do cover quite heavily on this show. So I like the chances of both yourself and the listeners. But Joey from Auckland, uh, very keen, first cab off the ranks. He's ready to go with his bat. How you doing, mate? Yeah, good, mate. G'day, Smithy. How are you, mate? How you going today, Joey? All good? Yeah, all pretty good, mate. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, everything's going well. How you going down there? Everything going good down there, mate? A lot better? A little bit better anyway? Uh, Hope so. Well, it can only get better, I suppose, although I still think there's some pretty bad news going to come from a lot of quarters um, at the moment, just assessing uh, the damage in a lot of areas, assessing uh, the damage to property, etc., and hopefully not too much to human life. But there's a lot of people being unaccounted for, uh, according to the news, for a long period of time, Joey. Um, and then you, you, you start to get worried about that kind of thing. So uh, we're hoping. We're just hoping down here and, um, mm. and hoping for the very, very best. But um, in the meantime, uh, we can only try and um, and provide a little bit of information and a little bit of entertainment, and that includes beating you this morning. 
<laughs> All right. Well, before we get into it, those listening at home, this is how the game works. We have three categories to choose from today. If you get a question wrong, then it's over to Smithy for a chance to knock your bails off. Get out within the first two questions, and it's on to the next caller in line. Get dismissed on the final question, and we will jackpot tomorrow to $100. Now, Joey, you probably heard me before. The topics are golf, cricket, and basketball. Take your pick. Oh, God, golf. All right, good luck. I do love a, a bit of golf on this show, it's fair to say. First question for you, Joey. Who is the number one women's golfer in the world? Lydia Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. That's right, Smitty. The co-show reigns supreme. Yeah, it does, absolutely, and uh, picking up a massive, a massive paycheck uh, yesterday on the back of that fine uh, performance in, of all places, Saudi Arabia. Uh, more on that shortly. Uh, right, okay, moving along. Second question for you, Joey. Who won the PGA Tour's Genesis Open? Um, I think that was John Rambo Ram, I think. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. John Rambo Ram. Yeah, he shorted 17 under par, Smithy. Two strokes ahead of one man who's having a great season so far, Max Homer. Yeah, Max Homer. Did you see uh, Max Homer picked up uh, around about uh, $2.2 million, I think, a second? Uh, unbelievable. So... Uh, the amount of money and they talk about uh, live golf and certainly there's a truckload of money available there but they are increasing the prize money on the PGA Tour as a result of that um, so uh, that's uh, it was a big purse over 20 million dollars for the Genesis amazing yep and just like the uh, Phoenix Open before it last question for you Joey $50 TAB bonus bet uh, for grabs the New Zealand Open starts March 2nd just over a week away with more than 130, 130 sorry, professional golfers set to compete on the Millbrook course. Who won the last New Zealand Open back in 2020? Back in 2020? Um, I, I, think, I think it might have been Stephen Hendry. Uh, I know the Aussie guy uh, won. I think it was Stephen Hendry. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Think you may have just opened the door here to Smithy for a third yeah, ball stumping. Yeah, you might have. It's a long time ago. I think it was won by an Australian. Um, I, I think it, uh, I, I've probably got his name wrong here, but I'm, I'm thinking of a guy, um, Brad Kennedy. No, does that comes to mind? Ah. Brad Kennedy. Just a couple of no. chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yes. Smithy, Brad Kennedy. Well, there you go. I oh, absolutely. Um, it's been what three years, but yep. I just think COVID. I think I saw, I think I saw something um, about the event yesterday, as little as yesterday, and they said um, the holder was Brad Kennedy. I'm pretty sure it said that the holder was Brad Kennedy. So, uh, just a bit of recollection Smithy, there, and a little bit, a little bit of guesswork, Joey. Yes, yeah, Smithy did. Um yeah, I, uh, Henry must have won it the year before then. Because I thought Stephen it was either Brad Kennedy or... Yeah. yeah it yep. wasn't that long ago that um, um, Michael Hendry, 
Michael Hendry won it a couple of years. Yeah, the year before, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't that. It anyway, wasn't that long ago. You're right. Anyway, I got you today, Joey. I got you today, which means you can ring up tomorrow morning and have a crack for a hundred bucks if you like. Yeah, well, I tell you what, Smithy, well done, mate, and my heart goes out to everyone down um, down your way, and I hope everyone's uh, going to be feeling a little bit better, and uh, we can only um, you know move forward as, as we do. But um, as New Zealanders, you know, we um, we hope everything goes okay down there for you fellas, and um, and and uh, all the best of luck, luck and everything, and love. Okay. Thank you very, thank you very much, Joey. Uh, I appreciate your sentiments, and so is everyone listening in. Thank you so much for your, your kind thoughts. It is uh, 11.39 here on SENZ. And, um, I've got to say, Logan, am I the only one here that, that feels a, a little bit unusual, a little bit weird about um, Lydia Ko winning all the Saudi money? Uh, do I have the right to do that? I think you have the right to question it. It is a little bit strange when you consider the amount of spotlight that does get put on the live golf um, <laughs> circus and everything going on there, where the money comes from. There's a whole court case going on there at the moment that is potentially just going to drag on for months and months and months as it goes through different courts and different appeals. So far, it seems the PGA Tour are winning that battle. Um, but, yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lot of question marks being raised around Lydia Ko uh, playing on this tour. It, it is a little surprising, and it's also a little surprising to begin with with the kind of track record that Saudi Arabia have towards women's rights, why they now all of a sudden seem to care about women's sport. Interesting. Very, very interesting. You're right. Absolutely. Um, I've got to keep thinking my way through this here. And I'm only doing it on the back that no one in terms of women's football, it seems, on both sides of the Tasman want anything to do with Saudi money being involved in the Football World Cup. Um, and it is, it's Saudi money, promoting uh, Saudi Arabia, Saudi first, the tourism side of Saudi. Um, the, these areas um, which have become very, very sensitive and uh, the, and the, the number one, I should say this, the number one golfer in the world, uh, and she is, women's golfer, is, um, is, is taking all their money and winning their tournament. I don't know. I don't know. It's 11.41. Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Yep, 11.46. Time to pop across to that sports desk. Uh, We're uh, in the chair is uh, Logan Swinkles um, with uh, a number of things to highlight this morning. Uh, yeah, a tournament that is very close to my heart, Smithy, that has just got underway overnight, actually, over in Cape Town in South Africa. It's the uh, WHF Women's World Championships Division 2B. Uh, that's the one that New Zealand competes in. And before I get to any results, Smithy, one really cool thing that happened over the weekend. The Ice Ferns actually went along to support the White Ferns and met them afterwards. Uh, and the White Ferns posted a photo of the entire team, both teams, together. I thought it was just really cool to see two of our national women's teams together on, you know, another country and just supporting each other. I think that's really cool. I hope they reciprocate. I hope the uh, the, the white fans turn around and go to one of their games so, because they're, they're going to have a bit of time on their hands if um, our friends, the Bangladeshis, don't get up and beat uh, the defending, uh, well, not the defending chance, but the home team, South Africa, uh, 
in this next match so uh, they'll be out of the World Cup so let's hope they um, if, any, if nothing else they have the opportunity to repay the favour uh, so tell us a, a wee bit about I'm interested in this in terms of uh, the standard you say it's uh, it's Group 2B uh, where does that fit us in and uh, where, what chance do we have of promotion to a higher group so where that fits us in terms of the rest of the world you can imagine that Canada USA that is they don't even have a division next to their name it's just the world championships. Then you've got 1A, 1B, 2A, and 2B. So we are one, two, three, five tiers down. There's like seven, eight tiers in total. Um, there's just a lot of nations competing now. They seem to add a new division uh, every couple of years. New Zealand, uh, the countries that they're competing against include Belgium, Croatia, and the Australians, unfortunately, Turkey had to pull out due to the recent devastation there with the earthquakes. So um, hearts go out to them. Of course, New Zealand uh, making their return, Smithy, for the first time since 2020. Haven't been able to uh, field a team or send a team rather due to COVID because of border restrictions. But they've started us started off real nicely against Croatia, winning 15-1. 15-1. Against who? Croatia. I mean, I would have thought Croatia. <laughs> I would have thought Croatia might be quite handy. Well, potentially, but uh, it's a great start for us. Uh, Caitlin Heal scored, got a hat trick. Uh, Gabby Mills also got a hat trick, and Anjali Malari. Uh, great story. She took a break uh, back in 2018 to focus on motherhood. She's had two beautiful, beautiful kids since then. She's a cop as well there in the Waikato. She got a goal and seven assists, so she racked up eight points. Uh, in her return. And that is going to bode them really well uh, down the line because Australia are going to be the biggest threat here. Uh, Australia also won this morning beating South Africa 10-0. So that goal differential could really come into play a little bit later on in the tournament, Smithy. Okay, interesting. Really interesting. So we'll uh, keep you updated with that. Um, Speaking of Australians, uh, I see uh, the skipper's going home for a while. Yeah, Pat Cummins uh, has had to return home due to her family health issue. Uh, This is from Alex Malcolm uh, from ESPN. He's flown home following the site's six-wicket loss in the second test in Delhi. Cummings will return to Sydney for a few days, but is due back in India for preparations ahead of the third test in Indore. Uh, Coach Andrew McDonald confirmed the news that Cummings would remain in contact with the group while he was in Sydney and would be would stay involved with planning for the test. Planning, uh, Cummings played as the sole quick in Australia's 11 in Delhi, but did not bowl in the fourth innings of the match as India mow, mowed down Australia's target of 115 with ease to wrap up the test inside three days. Kind of makes you wonder, Smithy, uh, if they should have had a warm-up match before the series. That would have been handy, but of course their program is so darn busy these days. Um, it probably precluded that. They probably thought that um, they, they could get over there and have a bit of net practice, etc. Uh, I see Josh Hazelwood is out of that tour as well, so if they uh, even produce something with a, a semblance of grass on it, which would encourage Australia's quicks, uh, Josh Hazel won't, won't be part of it. So it would be very much uh, Mitch Stark, uh, Scotty Boland, uh, Pat Cummins if he makes it back in time, Scenario if they do that, but I don't imagine uh, in India having retained the Border Gavaska Trophy, giving them a sniff of anything that looks like grass on that pitch. They'll be <laughs> playing on, dare I say it, 
stones and rubble and sand. That's as much as uh, generosity as they'll get. Is that it from the sports desk? Well, I love the way that David Warner even considered switching uh, which side he wants to bat on. Uh, just quickly, one last thing. In the ever-changing world of the NBA, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski uh, threw an absolute bomb, as he always does. Uh, this pertains to Russell Westbrook after completing a contract buyout. The nine-time All-Star guard plans to sign with the LA Clippers. Now, get this. He only just recently... Uh, moved to the Utah Jazz as part of their three-team trade away mm. from the LA Lakers. And the rivalry there, Smithy, between the Lakers and the Clippers just probably got a little bit more heated. But it sounds like Jazz fans weren't that big on Westbrook even being there in the first place. But now I just like how much that's going to heat things up in LA. And he has to, for it to happen, though, uh, Westbrook and the Jazz need to finalize a buyout of the remaining $47 million owing on his expiring deal. Um, as he looks to clear waivers and return to LA. Insane. <laughs> Telephone numbers. Telephone numbers. Uh, Richard has come in and said, thanks for the sports desk too, Logan, by the way. Uh, Smithy, did you realise Sam Spratt is racing uh, in Saudi Arabia at the we- this uh, weekend? Apparently in the richest race in the world. Well, there you go. Um, no, I didn't. Thanks, Richard, for making me better informed. It's 11.53. We'll be with staff shortly. Well, it's 11.58. Staffy's already in their chair for his show this afternoon. Staff, uh, what have you got coming up in the first hour? First hour, I'm going to tiptoe my way through the very disappointing football ferns and why they're so disappointing. I've gone through their record, and it's woeful, Smithy. Um, not long ago, they were top 20 team in the world, and they're just getting beaten and beaten and beaten, and I want to understand why. So we're bringing Casey in, who's a professional women's footballer, has played internationally. She's going to come in the studio to kick us off, just to weave me through what is going on, try and make some sense of it. A lot of football fans out there, Smithy, who have probably watched this, and they'll have their take as well. I just want to know, where's the issue? Um, I think it's simply they're not good enough. Um, is that true? But <laughs> pe- people will know more than me. Well, Ricardo said an interesting thing this morning. He said they, he believes they're a worse team than they were, basically, when uh, Zitka Klimklova took over. Mm. They're a worse team. Mm. That's revealing. What else you got on? Um, we've got Mia Motu. It's just been announced she's got a world title fight here in Auckland in April in the Super Bantamweight for the IBO belt, which is fantastic. And her backstory would make your spine tingle, Smithy. Um, it's an incredible story. So we'll touch base with Mia just after one. Brad Walter from NRL.com. Uh, Burat Sundarissan, he's the SEN cricket commentator out of India. And Jimmy Smith and our Tuesday draft day. What else have we got today? We've got the vault. It's packed. It's packed, Smithy. Absolutely. The vault is full. The Staffy vault is full this afternoon, folks. So uh, make sure you uh, stay tuned in here on SENZ. Uh, Thank you to Niv. Thank you very much to Aroha. And thank you to Logan. We'll see you tomorrow morning.